passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is found in Acts chapter 14. And if you're visiting with us today, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We have been working our way through the book of Acts. It's very important to us that we see how the Spirit leads the church of Jesus to carry out his commission of going into all the world. And with the chapters 13 and 14 particularly have dealt with the first missionary trip of Barnabas and Saul. They were sent out by the church because the Holy Spirit said, set these two men apart, I want them to do something for me. And so we're coming to near, the, their trip has finished, we've journeyed with them through a number of cities and all that took place. As we come to the end of chapter 14, these closing remarks are given, and again, there's this incredible phrase in there that just caught my attention and realized how good God is in what he does in this world. And so in verse 26, it says, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And interesting again, we, Jesus said, you know, Father, I've completed the work. And, and here, Dr. Luke is being led by the Spirit of God to say the same thing about Paul and Barnabas. They had completed the work that had, they, the work they had now completed. On arriving there, that's in Antioch, they reported, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I want us to take note of the focus of their report to the home church. Paul and Barnabas had done, they'd had accomplished some incredible things. I want to remind you. Remember the confrontation with Bar-Jesus, who tried to hinder them, and he said, you'll be blinded. Do you remember the salvation of Sergius Paulus? He was the proconsul of the island of Crete. And once Bar-Jesus was out of the way, he put his trust in the Lord. You remember the large crowds who gathered in Antioch to hear them preach. There were incredible signs and wonders that had been done in Iconium that confirmed the gospel. They had stopped the crowd in Lystra who thought they were Zeus and Hermes and wanted to make a sacrifice to them. Then they had walked back into Lystra after Paul had been stoned and left for dead outside of town. They'd made the long journey to Derby, a hundred kilometers, after Paul had been stoned. And then on their way back, they had appointed elders in many local churches that were the result of their gospel ministry. And yet you read here in verse 27 that when they gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done through them and reported how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they said, I think it's important not to rush by that phrase because it connects to our coffee question. It's an emphasis that reminds us again of who God is and his grace towards those who put their faith in him. I want to remind you that Genesis, the book of Genesis says that God created mankind in his image. And the psalmist, the psalmist as he thought about this was moved by the spirit of God to write. He says, when I look at the heavens, 
the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have made, and I envision him being outside on a dark night, seeing, seeing the sky without lights like it is for us, and, the, and imagine the, the distances of what he saw. And he says, when, when I look at all of this, God, I ask myself this question, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Children of the earth, that you care for them. And yet you've created us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. And he was left in awe of who God had made mankind to be. Now made in, in, in the image of God, human beings we know are gifted with creativity and ingenuity. And we're able to build things like the International Space Station. And you've probably watched it. I've sat out in a summer night, and I've seen it move by. And the incredible, how did we do that? Right? It just it baffles my mind. Then there's others who've, who've done such things as mapping the human genome. That again, what an incredible achievement. Others have built skyscrapers. I don't remember the name of this one in Dubai. And one of the tallest. And, and if you were to see a picture from the top of it, it's, you, know, you think, this could be from the space station. Well, I know it isn't, but it seems so high. And the skill to be able to build something that doesn't get blown down when the wind blows. And then 50 years ago, how humanity figured out how to send a man to the moon. So the psalmist, as he, as he looks at who God has made humanity to be, marvels. You know, we can marvel at what God has given to us. Now, when we think of these things, it is a tendency of most human beings to boast of their accomplishments. Now, you think, well, I, I don't do that, but all of you have kids or grandkids. You pull out pictures all the time. And you boast of your kids. You tell stories about them. If you, if you get a job promotion, you tell other people and we celebrate with you. Or you get a clean bill of health. We celebrate. You boast. You speak of things that have happened to you. We do this all the time. What I want to, us to focus on this morning is where the follower of Jesus is different than the rest of humanity. Because we boast in God. And there's many scriptures that speak of this. Psalm 34, verse 2. The psalmist, under the inspiration of the, scripture, the Spirit, wrote, I will glory in the Lord. And that word glory means boast. Psalm 44, verse 8. The psalmist wrote, In God we make our boast all day long. And we'll praise your name forever. Jeremiah, the Spirit moved him to write, Let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And then Paul to the church at Galatia wrote, May I never boast except in the cross, of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, the follower of Jesus boasts in God because we are a different kind of human being. The nature of the follower of Jesus has and it continues to undergo a radical transformation. And this transformation is so drastic, so dramatic, that the Bible uses polar opposite words in an attempt to describe it. Words like death to life, old to new, slavery to freedom, dark to light, self-focused to God-centered. Those are dramatic, drastic changes that take place in the very nature of a person who follows Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, when he thought of this radical transformation, made this statement. He said, God himself became a man, and that in itself is incredible. But look at why. To turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. And then he gave this analogy. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. This is the dramatic change that takes place in one who is being transformed by the Spirit of God. And this is why the follower of Jesus boasts in God. For who can make those kind of changes? When we didn't know God through Jesus Christ, we had no idea of the quality of life that Jesus came to give. You know, he spoke these words in John chapter 10, and he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, it's interesting that he describes this life as the full. In other places, he says, life that is eternal, doesn't end. Or he, in other places, he describes it as the life of the ages. This life that he says is full is a shared life. Shared with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and with fellow believers. And in this life that we experience, God makes his home in us. And Jesus spoke of this. You know this clicker worked perfect at 8.30. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what's happening, but every week it seems to be, it wants to be cantankerous. And I'm just going to be gracious with it and encourage it to keep working, please. <laughs> so when we think of this life and it changes us, Jesus said, and again, the context, Passover meal has finished. He's now in this intimate conversation. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And, and even there we understand that our obedience of Jesus is not fear-driven but love-motivated. And he said, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
The kind of life that is full is where God the Father and God the Son make their home in us. And it's in the context of this new way of life, centered in a love relationship with God, where God does things through his followers like he did through Paul and Barnabas. It's very important that you see that. Not only does he save us from our sins, he saves us from wasting our lives on things that don't matter. This is what he's doing. Paul and Barnabas describe what God did through them as he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, the writer of Acts, Dr. Luke, in the very beginning of his book, he told us this is what the book was going to be about. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, which is the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Now, if Jesus didn't work through his followers in this present time, Luke would have said, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up to heaven. The very fact that that word began is inserted tells us that when Jesus returned to heaven, he did not cease to be active on the earth. The Gospel of Luke is about the things Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and to teach. And Acts 29 is the chapter that we're in because there isn't a chapter 29 in the book of Acts. It ends at 28. But Acts 29, you could say, is the ongoing story since then of what Jesus has done through his people in this world. And it's important that we see this as we're going through. We are learning to be aware of how God works in our lives. And just think about this. So the, when God created the universe and everything in it, simply by speaking, but when it came to the carrying forward of the mission of rescue, he could have done it all himself, and he involves us. And you need to ask yourself, why? Why is our God like that? Why does he engage others in what he is doing? And I want you to see that this is what God himself did in the work of creation. There are a number of passage, or scripture passages that speak of the creation. And the members of the Godhead were all involved together in the creating. And watch for some of these words. John 1, verse 3, is referencing Jesus. Through him, referring to the word, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So through Jesus, all things were made. Now, when you come down to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, we read, there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. And we see the Father and the Son being involved together. From the Father came all things, but through Jesus came all things. They're collaborating together. And Colossians 1 confirms the same thing, for by Him, and this is referring to Jesus, all things. So through him, from him, by him. 
When you come down into Ephesians 3, verse 8 to 9, again, Paul's speaking of the grace to declare the gospel, and he refers to the boundless riches of Christ and how he was to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. And he says, just by the way, I want you to know who I'm speaking of, the God who created all things. And then in Hebrews 1, verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. There it is again, the collaboration. And then in Genesis 1, verse 2, this beautiful, beautiful word, the Spirit of God was hovering over the creation, the, the abundance of life that was in the Spirit. And as God spoke, things came to be. From the Spirit it came. And so what we see here is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit collaborated together for the sheer joy and pleasure of doing so, to create. They did the same thing in salvation. Before the creation of the world, God the Son was chosen. Who chose Him? The Father and the Spirit. There was talk together. When we create, they will fall. And they decided together the Son was chosen. It wasn't that the Son volunteered. The Son was chosen. In 1 John 4, it says, God the Father sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that tells us how they rescued us. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He was sent. He came into the world. And then lastly, there are so many passages about the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. He's the teacher of truth. He's the revealer of Jesus. He's the agent of the new birth. And again, I say to you, for the sheer joy of collaborating together, they saved mankind. And they invite those who are rescued, to work with them in doing this. That's the background of the commission that Jesus gave to the disciples when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. As you head out, I'm with you. And I would say to you, that was the experience of the Columbia team as we were, we were in Caldas. We were going there. There's just this sheer joy that filled our hearts when we understood our lives were in the hands of God and He was directing us to intersect with people and to be able to share with them the news of the gospel. And some of them moved closer and some of them committed their life to the, to the Lord. There is the joy of fellowship that comes when we work with God, when He does things through us. This, I believe, is what John means when he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It sounds like, you know, there is an aspect of it where we experience fellowship when His love is poured into our hearts, as Romans 5, 5 says. There's also the, the, the sense of fellowship when God is transforming our characters and renewing our minds. But this fellowship with the Father is particularly enjoyed when we are on mission 
with him in the rescue of the fallen sons of and da- fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. There is no joy like the fellowship of this rescue mission. God goes over the top in his grace. He does immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine that we get to be a part of this. Do you remember what was said about the 72 that Jesus had sent out and when they came back after their mission trip? It says the 72 returned with joy. Why did you think they returned with joy? Because they had experienced the fellowship of being involved in the mission of Jesus and seeing the lives of people transformed as they announced the news of the kingdom. Now, it's interesting because some of this joy that they had was because they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And they were getting a little distracted by that. And so Jesus talks with them. He answers that observation. He said, yeah, I did. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And yes, I gave you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, he redirects now where their joys was. He says, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. That's not the goal of my mission. That's not why I'm sending you out just to do that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven because the mission of Jesus is the saving of lost men and women and the recording of their names in the book of life in heaven. He said, that's what it's about. Let your joy be that I change the lives of men and women when they put their faith in their trust in me. And then, look at what it says. Jesus, full of joy. So here's the disciples. They're coming back full of joy. Jesus is full of joy, and he looks to the, through the Holy Spirit, and he says, Oh, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Himself. And what filled the heart of Jesus with joy was this salvation. That He had come to reveal the Father. This was the great work that energized Him and kept Him going. That He would make the Father known to the world. And that mission filled Him with joy. And then He prays, turns back to the disciples privately and says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you what many prophets and kings wanted to see, for many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so you have this incredible, incredible scene. He says, you get it. You understand what the work of God is about, the rescue. And you just got to see this scene. The disciples are full of joy. Jesus is full of joy. The Father is full of joy. And together, they're celebrating sinners coming home. Which made me think of the parable Jesus told. He said, when one sinner is saved, all of heaven does what? They rejoice. That's what fills their joy. And I can remember saying to the Columbia team before they left, I said, when we are done, 
You will never be as tired as you're going to be. But never will your heart be as full as it is with joy that these last two weeks, God has worked through your life to touch the lives of others. This is what it is. This is what God invites us into when He works through our lives. And I believe that's what happened in Antioch when Paul and Barnabas came home and they told the stories of what God had done through them to open a door of faith. And people go, no! Seriously! Bar-Jesus was blinded by God? Oh my God, what? Sergius Paulus put his trust in you? In Jesus Christ? Oh Lord, great are you to do this. And they just go through. And there was probably hundreds of stories to be told of what God had done. And that's what energized their praise there. I believe this is also the point of what Jesus was driving home, of what God is able to do. When he said to his disciples about a rich man who had come and talked with him, and the rich man walked away sad, and he says, I truly tell you, it is hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. They said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, this is where the joy comes of being used by God that he does impossible things through the lives of his followers. I can't build a space shuttle, nor a space station. I can't. I have no skill to do that. I can't build a skyscraper, skyscraper that reaches who knows how high. But God can speak through my life and save a man or a woman who is eternal and will live forever and change the destiny of their life. And that is greater than building a space station. And that's what you and I are involved in. And you see, what needs to happen is the weight of eternity needs to again grip us. The weight of our God that the eternal things capture our imagination. Not the latest streaming devices. Not the latest technology. As cool as it is. And I love to use it. But to be gripped by the power of God to change a life. To save. And we get to be a part of that. Salvation is of the Lord. And he uses his people to attain to do that. Now as I wrap up, I want to just make several comments. Through the fall, the board prayed and discussed together because we wanted to discern in light of who we are in Jesus Christ, what he would have us to continue to do in this town. And we believe it's the scripture that sets the vision. And we've endeavored to state it, that we believe our vision is to be a people used by God to awaken Souk. That's what it was like for the church in Antioch. Barnabas and Saul were used by God to awaken a region spiritually. And so we believe if God did that historically in the past, that would be his heart to do that now. 
And so we offer ourselves as a church to be a people used by God to spiritually awaken this community. Now, the question that I thought about this is, we can't do this. We can't open a door of faith. The question before us is, what was before Barnabas and Saul? Does God have me? Does God have you? Does God have this church through whom he can work? I said two weeks ago, there there is just no place on earth like the church of Jesus Christ when it gathers on Sundays. The day he rose from the dead. There is nothing like experiencing together the manifest presence of God among his people. He was here, is here with us this morning. Whether you knew it or not, he is here. And there is no place where a people who know Jesus Christ gather and he's in the midst of us. No other place like the church Sunday mornings. There is no other place where we wholeheartedly worship the triune God and we carefully choose the songs we sing that they speak of the weight of the glory of God. There's no other place to hear and interact with the breathed-out words of God. These are not my words. These are the breathed-out words of God. And as we hear, we hear His voice speaking to us. And then to respond together in obedience as we put off, put on, and are being made new. Where we encourage and and encourage others to remain true to the faith. And I glanced around just near the end and I saw some people praying together. That's what we do. We encourage one another to pursue after these things. And in light of today's passage, I'm going to add there's no other place like the church on Sunday morning, and there's no other endeavor on earth more deserving of our life efforts than God's rescue plan. There isn't. There is nothing more important than that. And that's why we've intentionally stated the church board together as we prayed and discerned together that reconciliation will be at the center of our work. We've been reconciled to be reconcilers. And we don't want to lose track of that. And that's where it played out. You know, we, we have kids. Home. Why are we teaching kids? Why are we teaching them? Not so that they don't disturb us. We're teaching them that they might at an early age come to know Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. Why, Christina, are you serving breakfast on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday, Monday and Wednesday mornings? Not just to feel an empty tummy, but those people might also experience the goodness and generosity of God and be reconciled to Him. Why do we have grace gardens? Why are we growing vegetables to give away to the food bank? Because we want men and women in our community to see the goodness and generosity of God through this church and be reconciled to God. Why are we teaching Alpha and running through it? For the same reason. Why does the team go again to Columbia this year? For the same reason. The center of our work is and will be reconciliation. That's what it's all about. And because this is at the center of our work, then this is why we are going to, we are endeavoring and our discipleship path will lead us to be people who are loyal to Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what you put before me, I'll never deny him. That we obey his word even when it costs us. 
that when we gather to worship, it's out of our hearts, wholeheartedly we give. There's no room in this place for apathy. We're a people who've been rescued. And so we sing out of our hearts to what He has done for us. If that doesn't excite us, then something's wrong. Right? Am I right? And then we overflow with joy to be on mission with God, whatever it looks like through what we're doing. And that increasingly we're looking like Jesus Christ and that He works through us to save the lost. This is the glory of our God. His beauty, His weight, His importance, His realness. He works through us to open doors of faith to people who are lost.